Lighthouse Live is pre-recorded before a live audience. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, Pastor Mike Douglas here. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. So good to have you with us. Those of you listening around the world via the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network, so good to have you uh, with us. And tonight, Elaine, this is a keeper. Mm, it if, is indeed. I'll tell you, if you have a recording device uh, tonight uh, is the time that we encourage you to uh, activate that. This is a keeper. We're going to tell you ahead of time, though, we're going to be talking about some tough stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, God is in the business of changing lives. And no matter what happens to us, Christ's healing power is available. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of those details tonight. And I'll just let you know ahead of time, if you have uh, young children with you, you may want to preview this broadcast before you have them listen to it. I think, you know, many times, Elaine, in the church community, we make the mistake of not addressing mm-hmm. the tough issues of uh, of life, uh, many of the, the deep hurts that occur. And, you know, if we don't talk about that, we also can't praise God for the wonderful healing that does the, and the way yes. he transforms lives. So that's what tonight is all about, friends. If you would like, by the way, a copy of tonight's broadcast, we'd be more than happy to send you a CD. Give us a call, 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. Or just email us at lighthouselive at earthlink.net. That's lighthouselive at earthlink.net. Right now, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Toby Mack with the true story of a thief who becomes a Jesus freak. He steals a leather folder from a van thinking it may be valuable. But at home, he sees it's just a book. A story of a king who loves a far-off people so much that he sends his son to rescue them from their dreadful fate. The thief is so moved by the story that he returns the book to its owner, who welcomes him into a church meeting. The book, of course, is the Bible. The thief hears the whole story that night and accepts the Son, Jesus, as his Savior. And today, he pastors his own congregation. So it turns out that leather book was valuable. It held the most valuable gift ever given. For more on The Voice of the Martyrs, Go online to persecution.com. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that what it's all about? And, uh, you know, friends, uh, we so much appreciate uh, hearing uh, your stories as well. And, uh, by the way, we just invite you to contact our website to find out what's going on. There's new opportunities to serve there. We give you updates on uh, great events like this broadcast here. www.vibrantcommunities.org. That's www.vibrantcommunities.org. Dot org. Click on that little red flashy red, flashy thing. Gizmo, That's, uh, yeah. 
high-tech uh, <laughs> internet talk there. The little flashy dude. Yeah, there you go. If you uh, click on that, take you to our daily update page. A lot of uh, great information there. Mike Douglas with you along with Lane Harlan, our co-host and producer for uh, Lighthouse Live. And uh, Elaine, coming up uh, in the not-too-distant future, January 23rd, uh, attorney Brad Dacus, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, will be here in the Modesto area. And uh, he'll be doing a seminar, a three-hour seminar from 10 in the morning till 1 in the afternoon, talking about legal issues facing the church. And this runs the gamut. Everything from if you want to expand and uh, the city council is uh, not real receptive uh, to that, it lets you know where your uh, your rights and your boundaries are. Also, uh, you know, a lot of suits flying around today. Uh, some of them are, are worthy, some of them not. And this kind of helps you sort through all that and understand uh, where we stand uh, legally. And uh, he'll be also talking about some of the uh, legal challenges nationally as well. It's going to be a great time. Yes. It is, and lunch is and there. Lunch, that's the, you know, our favorite part. <laughs> that's right. You know, a, well, one of our favorite. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, as a former cop and a pastor, you know, food is important. Yes. You know, if you want to get cops or pastors somewhere, feed them. Anyway, uh, we invite you to be part of this. It's free to you. Yes. It is free to you, but you must make advanced reservations. Mm-hmm. Again, call us 209 9571 Talk about the uh, Pacific Justice Institute seminar, and we'd be happy uh, to make that reservation for you. Well, speaking of Brad Dacus, here's our update this week from the Pacific Justice Institute. Brad Dacus, Pacific Justice Institute. Welcome back to Lighthouse Live. And uh, you and the Pacific Justice Institute are going to be playing a big part in uh, in the arguments uh, against Michael Newdow's suit to remove In God We Trust from our currency. Bring us up to date on what's happening there. Uh, you, you bet, Michael. Um, as it turns out, uh, Michael Newdow has uh, uh, gone ahead and, and filed an appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, the reason he's doing that is because uh, the lower federal court uh, granted our motion to dismiss and uh, throughout the case, and so uh, we're uh, that's that's a, a good footing to be on in going uh, in a case that's going to the Ninth Circuit. Um, but as everyone knows, the Ninth Circuit is very unpredictable, and uh, it could go go either way. Brad, uh, you are qualified at the Pacific Justice Institute to argue before the uh, Supreme Court. A great honor, but also makes you highly effective in these types of uh, situations, right? Oh, it is, and and um, and, and in this case. Uh, when this case goes to the Ninth Circuit, um, we'll be arguing uh, this case in court. Uh, we won't just be sending an amicus curiae or a friend of the court you know, brief or letter to the judge. We're going to actually be in court arguing the defense and in God we trust on our nation's currency. It is, a, it is a, uh, it's an honor, it's a privilege, but it's also a tremendous responsibility for our legal staff to make sure that we uh, do everything uh, in our power to, to present to quality arguments. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm just assuming, and we don't know, of course. I'm assuming uh, that, depending on how the decision goes at the ninth uh, uh, district court, that uh, he would probably uh, appeal to the Supreme Court. And uh, we just appreciate so much your ability to be both places, uh, if necessary. And uh, again, friends, we encourage you to support the Pacific Justice Institute. What a great way uh, to represent the cause of uh, Christ here in this particular situation. And Brad, uh, we're looking forward to seeing you live down here uh, in Modesto on uh, Tuesday, January 23rd from 10 to 1 in the afternoon talking about
about legal challenges, legal issues facing the church today. This is a highly important thing that uh, especially senior pastors and business administrators uh, need to be part of, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, It's been a real success, this uh, Pastor Legal Rights Seminar. We've put them on already in a number of cities uh, in California. We have it scheduled for a a number of uh, many more cities in California because it's gone over so well. It's been so productive, very helpful, uh, very application-oriented, and um, uh, uh, we're hoping for a a real good turnout uh, on the 23rd. Well, Brad, thanks so much. We'll give out your numbers here in just a second. Once again, we thank you so much and appreciate what you do and your attorneys up and down the state. Thanks for standing in the gap for us, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Well, we're looking forward to it. Thanks. Just a reminder, friends, you can contact Brad Dacus and the Pacific Justice Institute at one 9129 That's one 9129 Or log into their excellent website at www.pacificjustice.org. Did we not have a great time at the Christmas Parade Saturday? Wasn't that Downtown super? Downtown Modesto. That, that was, was so fun. fun. I want to thank yeah. everybody who turned out and just saw a lot of people waving and just having a great time and just thoroughly Enjoyed that as the ABC gang was out there, and that was lots of fun. Well, you know, the season of giving is the perfect time to remember those who are less fortunate or alone in our community. And uh, it's just one of the times to remember. We would hope that we would remember all of the times. But one of the greatest gifts we can give is a little bit of our time to reach out to others in need. And there are many special holiday volunteer opportunities to do just that. Uh, friends, coworkers, family members may want to do this with you throughout December. Lots of organizations, including children's programs, convalescent care homes, retirement facilities, and homeless programs are planning events, parties, dinners, and caroling. The ABC team is, is going out caroling at different places. They're out today. They're they out today. today and don't they? yeah, I think they've got awesome. five or six or seven dates that they're going out to nursing home facilities, hospitals, and uh, the dialysis center. And They didn't ask me to sing because they figured it would be more people sick. <laughs> I think but, they uh, said that they pay well, you not to sing. No, that's I'm they just do. kidding. <laughs> That, that and having a that, face that, for radio. No, that would all be that me. We'll, 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 just, we'll just continue here with Lighthouse Live then. Well, you want to share your time and your friendly smile and your talents while you help with decorations or serving dinner or wrapping gifts or, or again, singing carols, whatever it is that you can take part in. We would just encourage you to share that spirit during the holidays. And, again, we would like to stress all of the days of the year. The Alzheimer's affiliates of Stanislaw County offering beautiful florist-quality poinsettias and delivery service to the public, and it's all about raising funds for uh, this debilitating uh, condition. Volunteers are needed uh, December 8th through the 17th to enter uh, customer information into the computer, uh, map out delivery locations, and believe me, they pay me not to do that. Also to <laughs> deliver poinsettias to businesses and private residents throughout our county, and volunteer drivers are needed, and you must have your own vehicle and a current California driver's license to participate in that one. And you want to Lace up your running shoes. You go ready to do the Christmas tree run with the YMCA. We are so excited about the YMCA here in Stanislaw County. We look forward to uh, Steve Smith. And it's amazing to see all those Christmas yes. trees run. Out. That's amazing. <laughs> They've got their shoes on and they're ready to go. Yeah. Actually, this is a, a real fun time. It's a healthy Oh, you event. mean I have to run? You have to oh, run, and, okay. and it helps different. get okay. you healthy. There's that healthy word again. I uh, this happens Saturday, December 9th, uh, and it's needed to raise funds for the programs at the Y. Volunteers needed in the 
morning from 7 a.m. till noon to help set up, uh, assist with the registration, direct runners and monitor the race course and serve refreshments and all those kind of fun things. And we're just excited that uh, Jim Smith will be joining us here in just a few weeks here on Lighthouse Live. Friends, if you have any uh, questions about any of these opportunities, call Barbara Borba. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113. That's 524-1307, extension 113. And I think it's Steve Smith, isn't it? It is Steve it Smith. It is Steve Smith, that's okay. so I hope that he will forgive me for that. Or you can always give us a call here at 544-9571. Well, friends, God has brought two very special godly women to share with us this week. And um, as Pastor Mike said earlier, their sharing may contain content that might not be age-appropriate for your children. So we just want to have uh, you to have that opportunity now to uh, make arrangements for them. The first introduction to our guest began at a PACT meeting and PACT is parole and corrections team. And uh, the two women from Merced area were invited to come and, and share their stories with a group who are uh, just being parole. That's what those meetings are about. And their ministry is called Life after life. Mm. And uh, we just want to warmly welcome Nikki Lee Diamond and Patricia, Pat as we call her, Katana. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank nice you so much you. for being here. Now, life after life is not a reincarnation thing, is it, Nikki? Can you tell us no. how you got the name? Um, number one, we both are survivors of life sentences in prison. Mm-hmm. And um, I did 28 and a half years and Pat did 20. Um once the Lord got a hold of our lives inside and turned us around on the only path that is to be followed, mm. the truth, the way, and the life, yes. um, our lives were very much changed inside. Um, we became part of the God Squad and the Jesus Freaks, and we handed out pamphlets and everything inside of prison. Um, but when we were, we always said when we get out, not if we get out, but when we get out. Mm. And we wanted our lives to count for something inside. We had made the choice to make them count for something inside, and the Lord used used us both inside. But when when we decided that we wanted to be speakers coming out, um, that we wanted to share our testimony, it was our hope that our testimony would affect life after life of those who hear it and also to let people know that there is life after a life sentence. Now, there's a large population or larger than what most of us might imagine of people who had served or were serving life terms who are out and now adjusting to or trying to adjust and cope with life on the outside. Yes. Yes. And so that's that's what that's about. Nikki, I've heard people use the phrase the cards they were dealt and we're not into to cards here or putting our face faith or, or trust into that. But you've lived a life that uh quite frankly dealt you a lot of situations and circumstances that uh uh, quite frankly, you would see played out in a Hollywood movie or something, and uh, you you have lived you have lived uh, after that life to to tell about it, not only to tell about it to but to minister uh, with yes. that. You want to take us back uh, to the early days in the very early age, in the very early years um, i'm fifty six I was born in nineteen fifty. And at age four, my father raped me in the bathtub, in the bathroom. Um, my older brother took over as an incestor molester 
from my age of eight until I was 12 years old. Um, as a result, and the last two years of it, he brought his best friend in on it. As a result, that um, it messed me up mentally, emotionally. Um, I figured that there had to be this mark on me somewhere that made my dad and my brother feel that they had the right to do this to me. Um, and I looked everywhere because I wanted to, to scrub that mark off, but mm. of course I couldn't find it. Mm. Um, as a result, um, my teen years were very, very turbulent. Um, I, I didn't fit in. My innocence had been stolen, um, raped emotionally, mentally, as well as the physical. The physical's the, the most minor, I believe. What it does to uh, emotions and the men mental growth of a child to have that innocence stolen so violently is to really screw us up. And um, it did screw me up. I, I had no sense of self-esteem or self-worth. I made... Um, my father was a brutal alcoholic, um, my mother was a very fragile woman. She was misdiagnosed way back then as being a paranoid schizophrenic when it, when what she had was she had 37 different allergies. And when these allergies would kick in, it, the signals in the brain, it, it mimicked the um, paranoid schizophrenic. It mm. mimicked it. So that's wow. what they... She underwent hospitalization after hospitalization for what they quoted as nervous breakdowns. And then um, she had electric shock, shock treatment. Listen, so that's back like in the 50s or something? That was in yeah, the, that was in the 50s and 60s. Okay. And it... Our family was so dysfunctional that we assumed many different roles, codependent roles within the natal family. Um from one minute being a child, from the next minute being a protector, the next minute being a parent, um, the roles were switched so rapidly that it became a part of our internal makeup. Um, when I left home, I joined the Army to get away, to get away from it. I took the oath of office on my uh, 17th birthday and um, went into the Army and... Um, I made real bad choices because I didn't have any firm foundation or role modeling uh, to pattern my life after. So I made real bad choices, and I started hanging around with people who smoked uh, marijuana. Um, the violence from our natal family continued in the choices of the people that I hung around with. Um, many times they mimicked the natal family in mm. the roles that they played in my life. So you kind of gravitated to what you knew. I gravitated to what Hel I knew. Healthy it was or the, not, yes, but it was familiar. It was the only thing yeah. that I knew. And unfortunately, um, my life became so full of chaos and um, booze and, and drugs that it spun out of control and I was put in a position where I had to literally obey the orders of a gun-toting boyfriend or I was going to die. When he pointed the gun at me, when he pulled it in the crime for which I was um, committed um, to prison, when he pulled the gun and gave the orders that I was supposed to follow, I told him, you can't make that man do that. And when I did that, he aimed the gun at me and told me the B word, you can die right here. You'll do as you're told. Mm. 
And I made the choice then and there that no matter what happened, I was going to survive and I was going to um, live through the experience. Unfortunately, um, an innocent man, his life was brutally taken from him that Mm. day. And so you were in a, a position of having to be forced to be an accomplice. Yes, I was. In this, and and that's what uh, sent you to prison. Yes, right? and many people don't realize that um, you don't have to commit a murder. You don't have to take someone's life in order to be found guilty of uh, first-degree murder mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. according to the felony murder rule in, in California and many other states, um, if you are participating in a fe- in a felony, a felony charge, and you're found guilty of that felony, then if a murder occurs during that that um, participation, you are automatically found guilty of the first degree murder, and that in. 1976 carried a seven-to-life sentence. Well, much obviously, I did a whole lot more than a seven-to-life sentence. Um, but I'm I'm grateful for the twists and turns that my life has taken mm. because I was brought to a point that I was so low that the only place I could look was up, and yes. there was the Lord's hand reaching down, mm. um, letting me know that He was there and that. Um, he would raise me up. At that point, when you were institutionalized, Nikki, your life did change forever after oh, yes. that, didn't it? And Irrevocably, um, we had to come. We had to come to point. Those of us who were sentenced to life sentences had to come to a point, and it's roughly after a five-year mark. The first five years are very crucial because. Yes. Um, you're, you're so filled with guilt and shame and remorse and you don't know what to do with all of these emotions that are going on after you've been on trial for your life. Um, and then you've been found guilty and sentenced to a life term imprisonment. Um, all of these things go on in your head that are just chaotic and many people, um, shut down emotionally but once you get through that first five years you reach a point to where you have to stare your mortality in the face and realize that oh my god I really could take my last breath in the state of incarceration and you have to make a choice at that point what are you going to do with your life are you going to make your life count for something and if so how you've got to map out short term and long term goals and um, the other choice is to let your life go by the wayside and um, let the time do you instead of you doing the time. Mm. Well, um, it took me a while because inside a prison, it's a microcosm of society out here. You have booze, you have drugs, mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. anything available to violence. you in there, mm-hmm. and there's violence. Um, it's the same microcosm out here in society, and um, you can lose your life in there. And um, I just thank God that the Lord wooed me to him and that I heard his call Easter Sunday of 1990. I was just going to ask for that definitive moment Mm -hmm. that you did here. Easter Sunday, 1990. Praise God. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? How how did... I mean, you had all this stuff going on in your life. I'm sure the enemy was speaking a lot of lies to you about it. Oh, sure. How how did God cut through all that and and reach you? um, The Vineyard Ministry team was... 
um, coming into our uh, prison at CIW, and they ministered to us. And one of my friends asked me to um, go to church with her. And I said, I don't know, maybe, I'm not sure. Well, I made my way over to this little hole in the wall that was about probably twice as big as the office right here. And it was the chapel at that time. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in, um, they were playing the music. Now, the Lord gave me a gift of music. Mm-hmm. He's let me write many, many songs in my life. And after I turned my life over to him, he's let me write many love songs to him. Wonderful. So um, music has always been an instrument an instrument of solace in my life. Mm-hmm. And the music that the Vineyard Ministry was playing spoke directly to my soul, directly to my spirit. Yeah. And... Um, Before the service was over, I was flat on my face on the floor, Mm. um, straight out, broken, yielded. Um, I gave my life as I knew my life at that time. Of course, there's been so many more levels since then that I gave. But I gave my life at that point that I knew my life to be over to him and told him, I can't do this alone anymore. I, I can't do it. Um, I need your guidance, I need your help, and I need to know who you are. Mm. What a precious life that is, too. Thank you for sharing. And Pat Catano, you um, you have a story as well. We want to get to some of that, too. Uh, no parent would want their daughter to endure some of the things that you did in your young life. Yes, I, um, I come from a very violent background, um, I, I didn't have a father in the house, just my mother, and she was very passive, and she was an introvert, you know, and we, we lived in the country when we were younger, so in the country, you kind of just let yourself go all over the ranch. We drove tractors and all that kind of stuff. Then we moved to town, and uh, I was probably about 11 or 12 when we moved to town, and my older sister got met friends that were in the wrong crowd. So at 13, I got raped. At 14, I had a baby. So uh, after I had the baby, the, a lot of the parents of the kids that were my age didn't want their kids running around with me anymore because back then it was really a disgrace. And so um, I started hanging out with my sister's friends too, and, and they were ex-convicts. My first husband was 22 when I was 15, I think, or 16, he had just been out of prison. He had never been out of prison on his birthday. Mm. That's how much he's been in prison, the whole family. And uh, they were very violent boys, you know. They was just, just as dysfunctional as I was. That's the kind of crowd you run with. When you're dysfunctional, you you hang better with the dysfunctional people. And, you know, I used to think, oh, he's worthless or something. But I, nobody's worthless. God loves us all. And I have to overlook that point and say, no, he just has the same kind of spiritual warfare that everybody else has in them, you know. But I learned how to fight through it. I was told that uh, if I didn't fight back uh, the man when they hit me, that they wouldn't respect me. I was told if they hit you, that means they love you. Mm-hmm. So I, And then we would walk in a bar or anywhere, and people just knew trouble was coming because we all fought. And not only did we fight other people for no reason, 
we fought among ourselves. We would all get to drinking and stuff, and then sometimes it would end up in a in a fight. And, I mean, we would have black eyes and busted noses and everything the next day, and we act like it didn't even happen. We'd just be sitting there talking to one another like we are here, like it never happened. And so uh, I stabbed myself, too, when I was about 18 or 19. And when I did, I almost died. And uh, my mother had the preacher come pray on over me because I had a lot of IVs in me. But that was because I was so mixed up and so confused in my life. And I was an alcoholic, acute alcoholic by 17 and so I, and then I started doing some drugs later on. Uh, I wasn't an IV user, but I did drugs. And uh, my life was just spinning out of control. I was self-destructive. That's when I became self-destructive because I, I, you know, it was like I didn't even care if you want to kill me or anything. You know, you're helping me out. Mm. That was the feeling I had. And I, and I drank because I couldn't take the violence. <laughs> you know, you don't want to feel everything that goes on. And I had four children, and the two youngest, I ended up giving, you know, the daddy took them. And then my mother watched the other two a lot. And I got to running around with this other person. And uh, by then, I was so out of control, I didn't know what to do. So we ended up picking up this man in a bar, and we were just going to either roll him or something. But there was no way a murder was supposed to happen. And the next thing I know, this murder was going on. You know, this this man was getting killed. And I remember that I was standing there watching and looking at me and her. I, the the doctors tell me that you uh, disassociate, disassociate right. uh, mm-hmm. when you do that because yeah. it, it's a trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember I, I remember standing there thinking things, you know, and like this is so bizarre, you know, and I remember all that and then. We left, and uh, I really wasn't sure that this man was dead, but I was so upset because I didn't know what to do about it. And so I, after a while, I got away from the person that I was with. I got away from that person, and I remember trying to tell people. I told a couple of people, but I think I was telling them, please go with me to tell. Uh-huh. You know, and they'd say, if you be quiet, maybe nobody will find out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had gotten picked up anyway for another thing. And anyway, I ended up confessing to my part of the crime wow. because I was laying in the cell and this voice kept telling me, you. you need to go and talk about this, to, you know, to somebody. Mm-hmm. I fought it for a couple of days, you know, and then I went. But I ended up doing a life sentence in prison over it. And ultimately, you cried out to Jesus, didn't you? Yes, I, I had been I had been baptized when I was a kid. Excuse me, just for a second. Go ahead, because you know what? We're going to be back with lots more right after Nicole C. Mullen testifies in her song, just as you ladies did. Call on Jesus here on Lighthouse Live.
Yeah.
call on Jesus. That's Nicole C. Mullen on Lighthouse Live along with Pastor Mike Douglas. Yes, Elaine Harlan. And you know, he will move mountains and heaven and earth when you call on him. And and I know that Nikki and and Pat, you uh, can testify to that. You you truly have witnessed uh, the, the supernatural power of God in your lives. And we just thank you for joining us here this week on Lighthouse Live. Life After Life is the name of the ministry. And and Pat and Nikki, as you both share uh, the incredible circumstances and conditions uh, that happened in your early days, uh, what took you to prison, and all of the many years that you spent behind bars, and what occurred inside, inside your heart, (laughs) most importantly, and inside the four walls of that prison. What was it like? You want to talk about the time leading up to getting out and and the transition back into life and and uh, and what took place in the church for me um, to digress a, a little bit as a child my mother had found my mother had found that um, <clears throat> providing books for us children to read would um, give us broaden our horizons well she didn't know what a refuge those books would be for me as I went through the trauma of the early childhood because I lived in a world of silence always afraid that I was going to get my face bashed in so I escaped into those books that were provided for us by my mother unwittingly unknowingly the Lord knew that I was going to need it well when I came to the Lord um, Easter Sunday of 1990 inside broken and yielded he also gave me a book, the Bible, and um, I escaped into the Word, mm. and I fed upon the Word. I drank upon the Word. I drank from the living waters. Um, I was so fortunate because I was very shy, reticent. Um, I was socially inept um, growing up, and I found inside that the Lord gave me a voice, and he let me um, go to work in the prison chapel where I, I worked for um, almost 10 years. While I was there as a chaplain's clerk, um, I um, was able to take the love of music that I had upon invitation and join the um, choir as the directors of the choir in there for the um, Catholic services, the, for the Mass. And we got to see so many of the choir members come in who were emotionally and mentally challenged, um, but had a love of the Lord and wanted to raise their voices. And I kept telling them, you don't have to worry about singing and sounding like you've got a, a degree in music because the Lord tells us to raise a joyful noise under him. And because of the heart and your condition of your heart, your giving of your love to him by lifting your voice. And he, it is a sweet, sweet fragrance Mm -hmm. so as as we grew um i branched out where the lord led me um i was able to teach hiv aids education awareness classes inside because um one of the choir members very early on was hiv positive and i needed to understand some of the things that she was going through and I became educated on the subject inside and then taught over 600 hours of um, classes inside. Um, the Lord used the ability that he was growing me up to lend my voice to the battle that was going on inside. Now, prison is a very harsh place to grow up. But when the Lord's growing you up, it's a whole different realm because... Yes. 
he has you involved in the things that he wants you involved in and everything else goes by the wayside it's it's like that part of it doesn't exist anymore because you're living and walking in his light. Did you sense a protection, Nikki? Oh, always. Oh, yes, you couldn't make it without him. Mm. Mm. No. You know, uh, we, we throw around Second Corinthians five seventeen through 20 pretty easily mm-hmm. within the, the church world, and yet what we see is this rolled out in real time. I yes. think specifically after uh, Paul talks about, uh, you know, the old is gone, the new is come. Yes. Of course, that's a process, you know, mm-hmm. but the old is gone, the new is come, there's new hope. And then in verse 20, he talks about the fact that, that we are ambassadors of Christ as, uh, as if uh, uh, God is making his appeal through us. And, you know, it strikes me how wonderfully God has rolled that out in your lives. All this, all this stuff, you know, that you went through physically, emotionally, and, and such, and, and then being incarcerated. And yet, God is using you as tremendous ambassadors for Him to reach people that I couldn't reach, that Elaine couldn't reach. But, uh, you know, that God is doing such a powerful work. As you look back in your lives and you think about all that stuff, you know, especially as children, uh, what do you think? What do you think when you look at what God is doing through you now? I always, I always think, how did I survive all that? Mm-hmm. And then when I, once I did get to know the Lord personally, mm-hmm. and like you was asking about being in prison, he is, he was our only way. We knew it. You had to depend on him because he was the only one you could talk to and trust and, mm-hmm. and know that he was going to do you right. And so then when we used to, me and Nikki was roommates for about the last seven, six and a half years, maybe before we got out. And we would do a lot of Bible studies together, and we would talk about when we got out what we were going to do. And this is part of it. We said that wherever we're invited to speak about our life and, and what it's done, how we change after that we would. So when people ask us to come, we do. And we just come and speak our heart. That's, that's the only way it is. We pray before we come. We ask sure. the Lord to give us the right words, His words to say and and then we just try to we hope that it reaches people and they can know that you don't have to end up where we did to meet meet the lord because he's right where you are at and you don't have to come like a lot of people say when i get better and clean myself up you know and stuff i said you don't have to come as you are he'll take care of that and he does because i i was a fifth grade education when i went to prison and when I got there, I ended up, after I went through the rough times, I had a lot of vocation education and did a lot of college courses and stuff like that. So he grew me up, too, and I'm very grateful for him. And I, a lot of people, there's still lifers there that I know hmm. uh, are ready to come out. Uh-huh. It's just about the law, though, and allowing uh-huh. them to come out, you know. And I, it, the hardest thing is people don't understand it. Uh when we left, we left our sisters there, you know, because we were sober and cleaned up there. And so we got to really personalize ourselves with the other girls there, which I knew them better than I knew my family out yes. here. They were your family. Yes. By the yes. experiences, yes. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes. Month and when we month, left, yeah, when we left, they're all saying bye. Don't forget us. Don't forget us. You know, and I told them I won't forget you. Do you, you. still keep in touch? Yes, oh, yes. But we go into the prison now. Oh, yeah, and talk to them. And, and uh, I, we've seen a light come on, and they write us and tell us 
they were so grateful that we came in that we, you know, made them want to still hang in there because you lose hope at times. What are the chances of them being uh, paroled early? Well, they're ready too. It's just to it have a matter early. of them letting them. They've already done more. Yes. More that more time than their guidelines called for. Yes. Many of them have done twenty five plus years many, many on years. seven to life sentences, which a maximum of thirteen years at that time was the guideline. I mean, we're coming up 25 and 30 years of time There's under our belts. There's 17 of us girls out and uh, that I know for sure. And uh, I think the least probably would be about 17 years, you know, of them. But they're ready. They're like us. They've been through the cleansing. and uh, Refiner's the te- fire. And they, they're, mm-hmm. we're real positive in there. We, we, we're the best... On the vocation, education, and we don't just keep it to ourselves. We teach it to others. We saw the importance of that vocational training and of the educational, the quest for knowledge. We had made goals inside, and we yes. did. We we got our GEDs. We got our um, associate's degrees. We went on to um, pay for our paralegal we, yes, courses to become paralegal. So we paid for this stuff inside and put it to good use, but we wouldn't have been able to have used minds that had been so foggy and clouded from the world had not the Lord opened opened the gates to the knowledge to flood into us so that we could retain the knowledge. In I, order I to know that that's, that's why we're out. I know that is because the Lord knew what our hearts were and He knew what we were going to do when we came home. Amen. Nikki, uh, Nikki and Pat, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. Afterwards, though. Let's talk about one, I think, one of the toughest things involved in uh, this kind of process where you have deep physical and emotional hurts. God comes into your life. <clears throat> Christ gives you a brand new life. And yet there's this issue of forgiveness that has oh, yeah. to be dealt yes. with for you, for family, for mm-hmm. uh, people who have been injured. Let's uh, explore that a little bit right after this. All right. Deep needs, deep hurts, spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet, thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. The challenge? Activating those resources and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus' command in Matthew 22:39 to love your neighbor as yourself. The church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community. Advancing Vibrant Communities researches those needs, then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs. The very first story that Mike told about ABC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet within my own community. And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective. This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs. And then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. 
AVC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department. Habitat and AVC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others. AVC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. AVC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. AVC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. AVC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. You know, some of us can donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers were interested in me and what I needed in my life. You know, it's not only hearing it, but it's seeing them, and it's being there in person and seeing the, the need that they have and hopefully being able to do something about it. I will tell you, as you know, your chief of police in the city of Modesto, we need your help in the community making a difference. Volunteer, I know we can put you to work. And I, I promise you, if you get involved, you'll feel better. You'll be happier. How can we partner with you to meet the needs of our city? We ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. Advancing vibrant communities, faith in action, pure, simple, proven effective, carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live. Pastor Mike, Elaine, and Nikki Lee Diamond, and Patricia Catano with Life After Life, a ministry for people uh, uh, of all ages. And uh, we just want to uh, welcome you and, uh, again, glad to have this time with you. Nikki and Pat, uh, going through all of the many things that you did through your lives and your time uh, spent uh, incarceration, um, when you get out and working through all of these issues, uh, or just listening to the, the love your neighbors as yourself, you know, there's a lot involved in forgiveness and maybe speak to how that played out in your lives. And maybe both of you can address that. Nikki, you want to go first? I had to learn how to forgive my father. Um, as a child, I absolutely hated him. I feared him. I detested him. I didn't want him anywhere in my life. I had to learn how to forgive him. And I had to learn how to forgive my mom for not being there to keep us protected uh, when she had no one to protect her against his brutalities, against his abuses. Um, and I had to ask the Lord. I said, Lord, you know, I don't know how to forgive him. I don't know how to um let go of the pain and you've got to show me well um he showed me because he made it possible for me to pay the way for my mom to come out from florida to um see me twice um and make the arrangements for her stay out here through his people they helped out 
with the place for her to stay and the home and the ministry teams, the people from the minis- the, the vineyard ministry right. were the ones who helped yes. my mom awesome. with her arrangements out here. Um, I had to learn how to depend upon the Lord to help me to forgive my older brother. Um, and I got to see my older brother come to his journey with the Lord, where the Lord told him, you have to meet your sister face to face, and you have to ask her for forgiveness face to face, because he had asked it in a letter, and I wrote a letter of forgiveness to him, but in um, November of 2002, my older brother came out from back east to the prison and um, asked me face to face to forgive him, and I did, but I also had to forgive myself for my own shortcomings and my own failings and my own poor decisions and my own lack of ability and lack of knowledge. And um, if it hadn't been for the Lord, I would not have known the freedom of being able to forgive in order to receive forgiveness because it tells forgive as you would be forgiven. And... um, it's 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 a wonderful thing to watch it unfold. My little brother is still does not have any contact with me and um but I had to forgive him for that too. Mm-hmm. And the freedom that comes from learning how to forgive and forgiving leaves us open to receive the forgiveness of others as well. Amen. Yeah. How about for you, Pat? Well, I I have four children, three girls and a boy. So uh, the two little ones were really young when I went to prison. And the, the older ones were two, but they're like two sets. There's quite a few years between the two, two you know. And um, I didn't know what it is. If you don't forgive them, they won't forgive you. And I didn't understand that at first. And uh, what made me understand it is my dad. He wasn't my, there for me. And I used to say that I hated him. Well, he come to the prison to see me, and I was talking to the psychiatrist. I said, I don't know if I want to see him. And he goes, oh. He said, oh, I, did you say you want your kids to forgive you? Mm. And it <laughs> dawned on me, and I looked up and smiled, and I said, yes. So when my dad come, I told him I didn't hate him. I was just angry because he wasn't there for me, but that I loved him. And today was a different day. We could start today and not to keep that garbage and not to carry uh because he said he was sorry and felt ashamed. I said, the Lord don't want you to carry that around. Just let it go, and we'll start all over because I love you. And he said, okay. You know, he died 21 days later. Is that right? And wow. my ma- wow. my stepmother wrote me a letter and thanked me for the release that I gave him. Well, you know what? When I did, I felt it come off me too. Yes. Amen. Yes. I did. And so then I knew that when I got out, I was going to have to deal with my children. Hmm. And that was hard. Because the the next to the oldest, she's she's around me a lot, and she started telling me little things, you know, about how when we all of our our my group of people were drinking and stuff, how much danger we put them in, not knowing, not knowing because we were out of it. And she said, ta- started telling me about the ones who had been molested that we didn't know. And I said, how come you guys didn't tell us you knew that we would, you know, would not hurt? She goes, Mom, it wasn't that we were afraid of what you might do mm-hmm. you know so why i'm saying that to the people right now uh if anybody's listening and you're into drugs and alcohol do you just remember that your kids 
they need their real mom and dad and they need them clean and sober yes. because if you don't, the world will get a hold of them. Mm-hmm. And you do not want the world to get a hold of your children because I'm, I know what my daughter has told me, my kids has told me. There's still one daughter though, my little, my youngest daughter. I love her so much and I don't know how. Mm. And I know she. Hurting. Because Pat doesn't know how. I'm trying. She doesn't know how to talk with her and mm. communicate with her. Because she was only like 12, 11 or 12 when I left. And Pat hadn't had that much time with her from the time she was born. Through the prayers yes. and through the lives that you two are leading now, God is going to do something wonderful in that relationship. Well, she, she, she's we there that. for me, you know. She wants me to love her, too, and I do. Uh, it's not that I don't love her. It's that I'm not used to it, and I don't know what to do sometimes to start it out to be, you know, a good relationship. But God's teaching me. You know, the hour is so quickly getting yeah. away from us here. I, I We could probably spend another hour with, with you both. Why don't we give out some contact information? Uh, as you said, Pat, yes. there may be someone out there listening who would like to get a hold of you and inquire of what kinds of things that you guys could use, what kinds of things that you need. How can they get in touch with life after life? Well, we have. they can call us okay. at, at 209-631-5915. And uh, we have an email address, too. It's... Uh, Rory Pearl, R-O-R-I-E-P-E-A-R-L, at sbcglobal.net. And again, that phone number is 209-631-5915. Nikki, you wanted to say? Yes. Um, I'm. Uh, my email is Nikki Lee Diamond at N-I-K-K-I-L-E-E-D-I-A-M-O-N-D at yahoo.com. And our home phone number is 209 209- um, three five seven eight two three three. Very good. Life after life with Nikki Lee Diamond and Patricia Catano. Thank you so much for joining us, dear friends. Wherever you may be listening, thank you for tuning in. Have a great week, and until next time, may God continue to bless you. Lord. Lord.